Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 354. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there... Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. And before we get into today's episode, I want to be sure you know that if you're a trauma therapist, and I am identifying a trauma therapist as a therapist who works with trauma survivors using a trauma perspective in the work. You don't have to be certified in anything, but that has to be your focus if you are to consider joining what I'm about to talk about, which is Trauma Therapist Network. We are opening registration back up next week to the waiting list, and everyone who's on the waiting list will get first access and a special offer. So if you're considering joining Trauma Therapist Network. This is most likely the last time I will be offering membership this year. And in 2023, the price is increasing. So this is a great time to join a supportive community that is filled with compassionate, knowledgeable, wise, skilled trauma therapists who are kind and open and willing to support one another. We meet weekly. We have one self-care call per month, one case consultation call per month, one Q&A call per month, and one training call per month. And they're all led by me. Sometimes we have special guests like we will in November. In fact, one of our special guests will be the very same person who you're hearing on this week's episode, Brad Kammer. So let's dive into my conversation with Brad Kammer. And if you want to get on the waiting list for Trauma Therapist Network membership, you still can. Just go to go.traumatherapistnetwork.com slash join. The link is also in the show notes. Thanks. My guest today is Brad Kammer, LMFT, LPCC. Brad is a California licensed marriage and family therapist and professional clinical counselor. Brad trained as a somatic psychotherapist and has worked in the field of trauma for over 20 years specializing in working with adverse childhood experiences and complex PTSD. Brad began his career as a humanitarian aid worker in Asia, which introduced him to personal and collective trauma. He became passionate about supporting individuals and communities in the transformation of trauma. Brad has since focused his work on the integration of somatic psychology, interpersonal neurobiology, relational therapies, and wisdom from spiritual traditions and traditional cultures. He has a special interest in the fields of development, cultural, and intergenerational trauma. 
Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so excited to be speaking with Brad Kammer. Brad, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you, Laura. I'm so honored and excited. I, I was telling you before that I have listened to your podcast for a long time now, so it's really an honor to be on here with you. Uh, thanks for saying that. That's so yeah. funny and nice to hear. Thank you. A lot yes, of my, it's my honor. A lot, a lot of my workouts, a lot of my walks. I, I have your voice in, in my head. So cool. Yeah, I'm so I'm so humbled to hear that. That's really kind. Thank you. I've been really excited to talk with you. You have a new book called that you're the co-author of called The Practical Guide for Healing Developmental Trauma Using the Neuroeffective Relational Model to Address Adverse Childhood Experiences and Resolve Complex Trauma, which is a mouthful, but a very like juicy topic to me. When I hear that title, I'm like, oh, yes, <laughs> I can't wait to check out this book. But and you do so much more. So let's just start off with you talking about who you are and what you do. Okay, great. So I'm a therapist, a somatically oriented therapist by training and a teacher and professor. I live about two hours north of San Francisco in a small town in Northern California. And um, I, I came into this field actually from humanitarian work. I worked in Asia and I, at that point, I didn't even have this word trauma in my head. It was before I went to graduate school and uh, I was experiencing all sorts of different kinds of trauma in with the people that I was working with in the community that I was uh, a part of. And it also, you know, brought up a lot of stuff for me, which I didn't have any, you know, understanding of or conceptualization of what was happening for me. Now I understand that it was a lot of vicarious or secondary trauma, which then, of course, triggered my own material to come up. So I left earlier than I had anticipated leaving to come back to the States. And I just dove deep into both my personal healing and also my academic and clinical healing to develop skills so that I could help people that were dealing with trauma. So uh, luckily, when I was in grad school, I got introduced to somatic experiencing Peter Levine's work. And I got trained in that while I was in graduate school. So it really helped set me apart from a lot of my peers because I was learning this cutting edge. This is this is 22 years ago now. So it was very cutting edge, especially back then. And um, I met uh, my teacher in somatic experiencing. His name was Dr. Lawrence Heller. Uh, I call him Larry, and uh, he was developing a way of working with developmental and complex trauma that he later introduced um, around 2011 or 12 in his book, Healing Developmental Trauma, this model called NARM, the Neuroeffective Relational Model. And uh, I started to train more deeply with him and eventually became a teacher with him. And we've created a training institute a few years back, and now we're training mental health and other helping professionals in working with complex trauma. So that's really been my passion. My passion now is to really make this work as accessible as possible, which was the intention behind the book and the podcasts we have and some of the trainings we do. And just really excited about being part of this trauma-informed movement. Yeah, it is a movement. Yeah, It's a movement and it's a very needed one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. So just in what you were just saying, there was so much that sparked my interest. And one thing was the point you made about how you didn't really have any concept or context for understanding trauma at the time when you were having a vicarious trauma reaction and your own, you know, probably trauma and developmental trauma material was getting stirred up. I just wanted to like emphasize that point that especially I think with our developmental trauma and our attachment wounds that that get activated it's so it's so incredibly subtle. Yeah. You just don't it, know what's happening. Exactly. They have this term from, you know, psychodynamic psychology called egosyntonic and it's like that the idea of that is just that it's it's just the air you breathe. You don't come into therapy to change your character, your you know, your your personality. You come into therapy because you have depression or anxiety or you're drinking too much or raging too much. Like you're you're coming because of a symptom, but the from our perspective, the symptom is just a signal for a much deeper systemic disorganization or dysregulation that then leads to these various symptoms. And um, that's that's really the the richness of this work. It's a, a depth oriented, somatic based model of working with these deep, often largely unconscious patterns and systems 
that are hard to access just through the traditional kind of talk therapy or, you know, commonly now CBT is, is most commonly the therapy that people get trained in. And while that can be beneficial in a lot of ways, it often doesn't access these deeper patterns that are being held in our nervous system, in our brain, in our body. And so, you know, again, NARM is a what we call a top-down, bottom-up model, which allows us to both work with some of the distortions of thought and behavior, but also working to change these physiological uh, patterns as well. And I, I think, you know, I think you've, you've had some guests on here that talk a lot about that, you know, Dan Siegel, Daniel Siegel and Gabor Matei and, you know, these other folks that are bringing this idea of neurobiology into therapy. And it's I think it's a really exciting time. And I think trauma is the, the kind of the catalyst for a lot of us who are being trained in this. I agree. It is an exciting time. It seems like trauma understanding is really exploding. And it's, it's so exciting, but it's weird because it seems like in our field, <laughs> there's this one like large group of people who see that. And then there's a very, very, very large group of people who just really have no idea and are just doing things the same way with only top down and medical yeah. model and kind of uh, some of the really, I don't know, more traditional ways of doing therapy that are not as depth oriented. And it's not about, you know, putting those people down. It's just like with all that's happening in the field of trauma and how it, to me, it explains so many symptom presentations that people go to therapy for. Yeah. Uh, I wish, I wish it was getting deeper into the roots in schools of what's being taught and just really, it seems like people, there are some programs where people learn about it in grad school, but a lot of times you go through grad school and you get all your training and then you get out and then you start finding out about it. And it's like, yeah. that's not the way it should be. Yeah. So you were very fortunate to get somatic experiencing exposure so, so long back. That was around the time I started in the field in 2002 and mm -hmm. a sexual assault crisis center. And I didn't learn somatic experiencing, but um, you know, it was so weird for anybody to be talking about trauma back then. And we were constantly just like, yeah. felt like a salmon swimming upstream, trying to get people to see that. And then 20 years later, still feel that way, <laughs> but it's a lot different, a lot better. Yeah, it is. I, w I was just telling my son last night that, uh, I, I was, we were on Amazon doing something and I, I, I was looking at our book and just to see, cause our book has been ranked pretty high, which is exciting. So, and Congrats. yeah, thank you. Bessel van der Kolk's book has been ranked in the top 20 of all of Amazon. I mean, I'm just excited that ours is in a little category. His his is in the whole of Amazon top 20, and it has been like that for years. And that says something about our society. And I, I was you know, sharing that with my son about how exciting this is that someone that is bringing these ideas, not just within mental health, but just to our society yeah. is getting so recognized it's, I mean, again, I, I just look at things much larger than just psychology, just how this work can really impact people, families, communities, systems. You know, that's not what I'm doing every day. I'm doing uh, working one-on-one -on -one either with clients or with uh, mental health professionals, but just the way that people are bringing this out in different ways. I mean, even these podcasts that you and I are doing and other folks, it's, it's, it's reaching people that 20 years ago would have no way of even finding out any of this information. And True. I think I think from the bottom up is really important. This is a funny little story. I, I uh, yesterday on I don't know something I was doing online, and Kim Kardashian and her famous boyfriend Pete Davidson broke up. Okay, so they they broke up, and the articles was the title was Kim Tar Kim Kardashian supporting Pete Davidson to get trauma therapy. Really? I, I didn't it, see that. Yes. And I thought it was so interesting. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. just therapy. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, she's starting trauma therapy. And I was like, wow, we've come a long ways. Like the fact that some, you know, tabloid or whatever that was, Yahoo News, basically was singling out trauma therapy that, you know, that was really exciting. You know, you make a good point, too, that actually there's several things I want to say about that. But one is the influence that an influencer like Kim Kardashian, the ultimate influencer has and how it's positive that she's using it for, you know, helping people who are wrongfully convicted, bringing awareness to trauma therapy in this way. I mean, 
the power that one person can have by saying, I'm telling Pete he should get trauma therapy. And then, you know, suddenly it's a big headline. And everyone's going trauma therapy. What's going yeah. Therapy? Yeah. How many people Googled that last yeah. night? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's great. That's great to hear. And then, you know, you reminded me of something which relates to something that you and I were just chatting about before we started recording about um, when you mentioned Pete Davidson, I remember when Pete Davidson came out to say that he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and how, you know, relieved he is to know why he feels the way he does. But as soon as I heard that, I thought, but we know that his father died in September 11th. That's a childhood trauma that he experienced. I wonder if anyone has assessed that. And I'm not suggesting, you know, that I know what his diagnosis should be. But when I hear, it's sort of like a trigger for me. When I hear someone who has a known history of trauma say, I have borderline personality disorder, but they're not saying I have post-traumatic stress disorder or complex PTSD or developmental trauma. I'm like, did that mental health clinician that they were working with miss something? It, mm-hmm. To me, you know, Pete Davidson aside, I always learned that we need to assess mental health symptoms through the lens of trauma and attachment. And if there's a known history of wounding and trauma or attachment history, then that the diagnosis should be related to trauma. And I don't consider borderline personality disorder to really be a trauma-informed diagnosis personally. I don't remember who said this, so I don't want to rip someone off, but someone famous said this, that if you if you looked at the DSM through the lens of trauma, it would go from 900 pages to a brochure. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> heard that, but that's so true. Yeah, and I think about that a lot. Uh, it, it would actually be a really cool book for someone to rewrite the DSM through the lens of trauma, like all these diagnoses through the lens of unresolved trauma. That would be really cool. But but yeah, that is the word. I mean, that's how we view it. Uh, we view these conditions, whether they're kind of, quote, access one conditions, which, you know, tend to be everyday issues people are coming in with depression anxiety the addictions things like this to the more personality disorders i mean we really do see so many of these as expressions of unresolved early trauma and it's and you know of course it's not just early trauma we want to be careful because in arm we don't want to just place the blame on the parents because mm-hmm. Who are the parents besides children themselves? Traumatized children. Traumatized children. And who are their grandparents besides? So, you know, we look at it culturally, cultural trauma. We look at intergenerational trauma. And it helps to humanize all of us who are parents that we're, you know, we're doing the best we can. And it is important for us to take accountability for how we've, you know, harmed our children in various different ways. And at the same time, you know, if if we're acting in good faith to learn and grow within ourselves, we're 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 starting to shift these intergenerational patterns of trauma that are getting passed down. And I think it it is important because you and I were talking about this earlier, but the stigma around disorders like borderline personality disorder are so intense. They're they're really horrific in a certain way. You you know, I used to work in community mental health and you know, no one meant to be malicious about it, but it was malicious. Like, oh, yeah. I have this borderline client at four o'clock. Does anyone want this borderline client? Like the way we were talking about them was as if they were objects. And these are people that have a whole life. They're, do, you know, they're doing the best they can given the life that they've led up to then, the resources they have available. And if they had treatment that really humanized these wounds, I think I think all of us would be better off, in, including them and their families. One hundred percent, I agree, and and I agree too. It is anytime we're ever talking about anyone as an other or an object, it's it's harmful. You know, like they say, intent versus impact. You may not intend to harm, but you are harming mm-hmm. someone, and. You know, I fault to our, our training programs because you don't get that type of language about a client without it being modeled for you. You wouldn't speak that way. You might say, I'm really frustrated. This person is very, you know, emotionally reactive or, you know, they have a lot of mood swings. I never know if they're going to be angry at me or what kind of space they'll be in. But to just be like, oh, borderline, you know, that's that's we're getting that from somewhere, you know, and I think it's like 
it reflects the lack of understanding of developmental trauma. So that's why I'm really excited to talk to you. And, and let's, let's just dig into really when, you know, you say that you specialize in adverse childhood experiences and complex PTSD and NARM is a a bottom up relational um, developmental trauma method. So Let's talk about what that means and and really what we're really talking about when we say developmental trauma. Yeah, I, the, the place I start is I point people back to a, a very famous book in the trauma field from 1992 by Dr. Judith Herman. It's called Trauma and Recovery. And on chapter in chapter six, the title of chapter six is A New Diagnosis. This is in 1992, so 30 years ago. And she proposed that PTSD doesn't go far enough. PTSD doesn't account for more pervasive, relationally-based trauma. PTSD is very important. I mean, it revolutionized the field of psychology from my perspective, and it was so important, but it didn't go far enough. And so for 30-plus years, people like her and Bessel van der Kolk and other people have been attempting to expand our understanding of uh, developmental and complex trauma unsuccessfully in, in, in many ways. The developmental trauma disorder didn't get into the DSM precisely because of what we were talking about before. They said that it was already covered by other disorders, for example, borderline personality disorder, because the three main categories of complex PTSD have to do with affect dysregulation, which you see in most of the personality disorders, but particularly borderline negative self-concept, which of course you see that also very strongly in borderline and a lot of the other personality disorders, and then impaired relationships, which that probably runs through all of the personality disorders. And so they, they said that there's just, it's covered by all these other disorders, which, you know, to me is ridiculous. Me too. Yeah. And luckily the world. Because what's causing it yes, is exactly. the developmental trauma, not you know, the other the descriptions, the personality disorders are just descriptive exactly. of the behaviors that are expressed by people with developmental trauma. Yeah, exactly. And luckily, the World Health Organization is is more open. And so they did pass the, the CPTSD diagnosis. So internationally, it's getting approved all over. It's just the United States, we use the uh, DSM model. So it's going to take time for us to to get that. So, you know, those of us that are working in developmental and complex trauma, we are ahead of the game because we can't fault researchers and academics for not doing more research because there's no diagnosis out there to help them. True. And, it, you know, it's kind of a losing battle because health insurance companies won't cover it because there's no official diagnosis. So it gets into this whole systemic kind of stagnation. And, you know, clinicians are usually the ones that are driving this uh, this field of psychology forward. And so that's what we're doing. You know, we're we, we're trying to do some research, but really we're focused on mainly just training clinicians with the hope that once things get more set in this field around complex trauma, then all the research can start to really develop. So, so anyways, in terms of developmental trauma, um, you know, I, I talked about the three categories that differentiate developmental trauma or complex trauma from shock trauma. That's what we often refer to as PTSD. And so generally they're, they're relational or emotional by nature versus threats to mortal life, you know, mortality, which is generally PTSD. So, you know, it's, I think most people can understand the difference between getting in a car accident from your parents coming home drunk and screaming and shaming you every night for 15 years. They're, they're very different. They affect different systems in the brain and body. There's a lot of overlap, but the way I, this is very simplistic, but the way I differentiate it is shock trauma, PTSD mainly focuses on the systems of fear. So that's why we talk about the amygdala. We talk about fight, flight, and freeze. Whereas developmental and complex trauma is really more about the systems of shame. And they, I like that. yeah, and shame has to do much, it's more universal. You can go through some really horrific one time events and it doesn't impact your personality. But when you go through experiences that actually start to disrupt your personality, the, what they call self organization, the, the strength of your sense of self. And then it starts to impact your ability to regulate your emotions and your body. It starts to impact your sense of yourself, your self-worth, self-esteem. It impacts your capacity to have intimate relationships. That's when you're starting to move into more of this field of developmental and complex trauma. 
Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience, and one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. That's a really helpful way of describing the differences between the two. And when you were talking before about developmental trauma disorder and and borderline personality disorder and personality disorders in general, I was thinking about shame. So when you said systems of shame, I've never heard that phrase, but I really like that. So can, can, can I... Can I define, because this is going to relate Love to something you, you and I were talking about before we start recording, because it relates to narcissism, actually. Yes. Because, because so there's a lot of different definitions of shame and, and they're all right, you know, for the most part. But l- let me just tell you something that, that a lot of people kind of don't think about with shame. So the way that we think of, of shame is that there's failure happening. Let's just focus on developmental trauma. So there's a child that's growing up in an environment where there's things happening that are not supportive of the child's development. That, that's the most basic definition. So there's there's what we call environmental failure. That failure could be in the parents, it could be in the culture, the community, it could be war going on outside. So there's failures that are happening in the environment. The child is not able to differentiate between that, oh, like the like let's just say my parents are doing things that are bad they the, the child can't sit there at 6 months old and the parents are raging and scary oh no no they'll be fine tomorrow morning they're they're okay the, you know the, they'll blow off some steam and they'll be fine in the morning the child can't hold that that's too much for the child to hold they don't have the capacity to hold that but they have all these really bad feelings inside so some something has to be wrong here it can't be the parents because if the parents are wrong they are threatening their attachment, which is life itself for a child. Yes. So what we do, and I mean, this is built into us, we in, we personalize the failures of the environment and make them about us, that somehow we're bad. Somehow we are the source of the problem. And this, I, I talk about this in the beginning of the book. I used to work with kids and it was so difficult for me because all we were doing, most of the families wouldn't participate in the therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all we had was the kids. So here we were giving all these intense diagnoses to the children. They were getting on medications and stuff. And it's like all we're doing is reinforcing this belief on some deep level that it's the child that's the source of the problem. And that's not the reality. The reality is that they're they're adjusting to the best of their abilities as a four-year-old or as an eight-year-old to an environment that consistently fails them. And until we're able to acknowledge that, we're going to continue to dehumanize and objectify children because the shame that they start to take on is not theirs. And so here's the last piece about how it relates to narcissism. I mean, this is narcissism. Narcissism is that it's all about me. Now, we think about overt narcissism usually. We think about these people that are grandiose, but covert narcissism is also a very intense thing, which is that everything is about me. It's just from a very negative perspective. So you're walking down the hall and you say hi to someone. They don't say hi back immediately what most people do is they start, oh, I'm unlovable. They don't like me. I don't fit in. They start to go through all this intense stuff. And that's a narcissistic response. It's it's distorting reality. The reality is that they could have just gotten a really intense phone call and they were someone was sick or dying and they don't even recognize anything around them because they're in a state of shock. It had nothing to do with us. But in that moment, we personalize it and make it about us. And, and I think the shame and narcissism combination 
make for a lot of toxicity in relationships and just for people. Very true. And I'm glad you spoke about narcissism because I feel like it's a useful construct when you are in a relationship with someone who is projecting a lot of stuff on you and you're believing them. And then, you know, you can shift your perspective and go, oh, it's not about me. This is their stuff. And they they have a wound that's causing them to act out in this way in our relationship, within our relationship. I think it's useful in that way, but I don't think it's useful when it's like the narcissist will never and the narcissist always and the narcissist feeds on and stuff Mm -hmm. like that because it's like that's black and white. I mean, no one is all one thing ever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I talk a lot about making things from or, or, or shifting things from being one dimensional to three dimensional. And I feel like that happens when people do their own internal work, when people doesn't have to be therapy. I'm, I'm a huge fan and supporter of therapy, but there's other ways to do it. But, you know, when people start to do their internal work, their parents shift from one dimensional, three dimensional, right. their narrative shifts mm-hmm. from one dimensional, three dimensional. It's not all the good guys, the bad guys. It start you start to actually have more capacity to deal with the polarities that are in all of us our parents, our society. And, you know, that that feels very important to create a much more healthy, balanced and mature society. Yes. And that goes back to when you were saying that this is beyond just mental health. You know, it's beyond it's it's really the survival of our species, I think, depends on understanding the impact of trauma and shifting these intergenerational patterns that are leading us not to be negative all everybody, but it's leading us towards like planet destruction. And, yeah. you know, in the United States, our culture is so divided right now. And it's, you know, it's getting worse and worse. But I, I'm hopeful that people like you, me, and so many other people who are saying, hey, hey, hey there is something we can do here. You yeah. know, that gives me some hope. But I feel like yeah. it's this not not wanting to recognize victimization mm-hmm. and this sort of like shadow of, of victimization that we're reenacting and reenacting and reenacting generation after generation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, things like helplessness and vulnerability are just so scary for people. And so they'll do everything and anything to stay away from that. And and yet that's the way into this whole thing and out of it, it's to really embrace you know, the areas that we are helpless and the areas that we do hold vulnerability and still finding strength, even when we can't control things or when we do feel sensitive to things. And that's just really hard for people. We're, especially in the United States, we're really armored, you know, against those mm-hmm. things. And, and then armored makes, or armed. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I never put that together. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. We live in a society that we are really heavily armored, including using arms. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's scary and, and hard and it's hard watching this continue to get passed down, you know, when you when we have, you know, when we're leading with empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're talking about all of this, you are talking about things in a more vulnerable way. And there's so much like jumping on. Ah, oh, get them. You know, when somebody's opening up and showing some vulnerability. Um, but I think that the hopefulness is that in expressing vulnerability, we can say, hey, I could use your help. And someone else could say, hey, I want to help you, you know, and we can connect and become stronger that way. Yeah. So I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners a little bit more about, I'm, I'm very appreciative of everything you've shared about developmental trauma so far, but let's talk a little bit more about NARM itself. And mm-hmm. What does, how is it used and what does the process to be trained in it look like? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the title, stand, NARM stands for Neuroaffective Relational Model, and it's a mouthful, but uh, the word neuro uh, responds to obviously brain, nervous system. So really understanding the body's role in holding and resolving trauma. Affective has to do generally with emotions although we include sensations, the body with that too. Relational is a very key piece because remember, these are traumas that have been created through relationships or lack of relationships, which is different than many or most shock traumas, which tend to be, you know, one-time things that often 
even though they might involve people, it it's not necessarily involving the heart, you know, when you're yeah. relying on on people that you care about and stuff. So, so yeah, the neurofactor relational model, it's we're really trying to bring depth back into mental health. I know we're not the only ones, of course, but you know, the last 40 years or so, we've just moved so far away from depth oriented models. I think it's a sign of our culture. Our, our culture struggles with depth uh, because you have to start to embrace some of these things like we talked about before that are pretty difficult for a lot of people to do. And uh, really looking at the nature of the self and how the self is with a capital S, which means that it, it connects to something that Jung used to refer to more as the soul, the, the self being an expression of some, if, if we want to take a transpersonal expression of some collective spirit or soul. So the self is, you know, a child is born into this world and has this developmental process to become their best self and to develop if they're given the right support and the conditions to do that. And when that doesn't happen, that leads to disorganization of the self, which leads to all sorts of different symptoms and conditions like we've talked about. So NARM is really working to help people reconnect to, in some ways, if we're going to use attachment language, it's like become their own attachment figure that they never had as a child. Because the wisdom of attachment for young children is that you you internalize the security from your environment, if there's security in your environment, so that you can, you don't need your parents anymore. That's the whole idea of moving into adulthood, that we're designed to outlive our parents. Um you know, we talked about how shame personalizes the failure, but when there's security in our environment, relative security, we internalize regulation, organization, acceptance, compassion, and then that become, those become the platform for our developing sense of self. And so we have four main pillars as a clinical model that we outline in the book, because the intention of the book that we just released is really to make this work accessible to people, because we, we understand that for mental health professionals or helping professionals, it's a big commitment to come and, and do trainings like ours financial commitment, time commitment. So we wanted to make it accessible for anyone that could just, you know, use some of the skills from the book, but also for people that aren't in the profession, helping professional world, for people that might be dealing with some of these issues and give language around it. We have a lot of self-reflective uh, exercises to support people. So we, we tried to make it a, a resource to help people. So anyways. That's excellent. Thank you yeah. for telling me that. So four, we have four main pillars that we talk about, chapters three through six. And the first one is what we refer to as clarifying the therapeutic contract, which basically has to do with inviting intentionality that clients, even if they're coming just to fix a symptom, to change it, to get rid of a symptom, we're inviting a deeper reflection into what would be on the other side for them or what would they hope to be on the other side. If you stop drinking, if you stop working so much, if you stop with this anxiety that you want to, to get rid of, what are you most hoping for? And it's an invitation to really connect them back to these deep states of being that have been pretty scary because they had to disconnect from them since childhood. So, you know, there, there's different ways that we bring that depending on the capacity of each client, but we start to invite why they're here and what they'd hope for out of the work. And that becomes what we call the red thread that, that keeps the sessions organized. Because as you know, when you work with people with complex trauma, it is, they have tons of stories, tons of associations, tons of symptoms, somatic reactions, emotional reactions. There's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And so I love the way that NARM organizes all of the disorganization. And it, we, we do it primarily through this red thread of their intention. So that later, when things start to go all over the place, we bring it back. Like, for example, how, like you're talking about the clients talking about something about their children's school. And we'll, we'll just say something simply. And how does what you're talking about right now relate back to what you said you wanted? You said you wanted greater peace in your life. And what that does is it brings it back into connection to this intentionality that's really driving them forward because there's a lot of fragmentation that happens with developmental trauma. So that's the first pillar. Second pillar is it's NARM is an inquiry-based model. We use questions primarily. We, we are driven by curiosity. So in our curiosity relates specifically to pillar three, which has to do with reinforcing agency. 
We ask questions about how people are organizing and relating to the experiences that they're sharing with us in therapy. So we have the saying, there's what is, and there's what we do with what is. So there's things that happen to us. A lot of those things we cannot change, but there's there's how we relate to those things that becomes what we can work on in therapy. And that's called agency. That's what we call agency. And so we work to reinforce agency. We call agency the bridge between child consciousness and adult consciousness, meaning that even though we might be 50 years old, we're still seeing the world through the lens of these child filters and relating often to the world through these child patterns, which doesn't give us a lot of resiliency, doesn't give us a lot of confidence or capacity. And then the fourth pillar is what we call reflecting psychobiological shifts. I often joke that this is the Shavasana phase of NARM because it's it's where when there's shifts starting to happen for people, we want to support them to really anchor that, particularly in their body, uh, but in their present experience, because it's so quick. I'm sure you see this all the time, too. Clients will start to feel something good and then boom, they jump to something else. And so we just want to try to kind of help them integrate the shifts that are happening because there's a lot of life energy that starts to come up when people stop spending all their energy defending themselves and protecting themselves and can start use it for creativity and growth. So those are the four main pillars. There's there's a bunch of other things in the book that we talk about that are part of that or that deepen that, but that's those are kind of the main uh, main processes that we use. Well, thank you. I you explained that beautifully and I love I heard Lawrence Heller at the Trauma Research Foundation conference this summer and um talking about it and I was like, yeah, I want to know more about this. I had heard the acronym and I knew what it stood for. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting, but I hadn't explored much more about it. So I I get, I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to sign up for this. I just... <laughs> be great but, to have you. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the training process like for, you know, people who are listening and they might be thinking, oh, it'll be way too long or it might be really expensive or it'll be easy or Let's, yep. let's hear. Okay. So there's two, to, to get trained in ARM, there's two access points. So for anyone that's a helping professional working with trauma, this is mental health professionals or and beyond. So, and this could even be teachers, nurses, coaches, first responders, clergy. We have body all workers, sorts of body workers. Yeah. We have all sorts of different people. They can come into what's called our level one NARM online basics training. We created this right around COVID, which was really exciting. And it's four weekends. And then you become a NARM informed professional. And a wonderful teacher, Stephanie Klein, teaches that. Uh, she's been my colleague and friend for many years. She's a wonderful teacher. And and I, Larry and I also come in a little bit and do some teaching with that too. There's one starting up in September. I'm not sure when this will air, but then we do two a year. So we'll have one in September. The next one will start in February of next year. So for people that are clinicians that really are ready to get trained in arm therapy, they can come into level two training. They don't have to start at level one, although some people choose to. Uh, okay. Level two is a much bigger commitment because it's longer. It's double the length of that other training. And uh, it's more financial investment too. And they're going to get trained in applying NARM therapy. So I'm the trainer for the level two trainings in the United States. We usually do two or three online a year and, you know, one or two in person a year. So next year in January, we'll start our next in-person one in the, the San Francisco Bay Area. We're only going to do one in person next year, and then we'll do two online next year. So people could sign up starting in January. And it's a, I mean, you know, I, I'm so biased, of course, because you know, I'm, I'm the trainer, but it's a life-changing experience. I mean, this work is not only changes how we, we do therapy for most of us, but it also, we're, we're doing a lot of our own work because the R in NARM has to do with the relationship. And we it's relational healing. And so we're part of this work with our clients and we have to be present to our own experience. And so we do a lot of focus on supporting the therapist. And it's actually one of the things that people love most about the training. They come in to get clinically trained and mm -hmm. they realize how much support they're getting for themselves, which allows us to be sustainable in this field of working with trauma. So, so that's level two training. We have level three and four, but you have to go through level two first to go into our more advanced trainings. 
And then the, the other thing I just would mention for people that don't aren't ready to do training, we have an online ongoing learning community called the Inner Circle, the NARM Inner Circle. The, the two main things of the Inner Circle is that every month we do a NARM demonstration either by video or live, and then we deconstruct it. So we really kind of break down the choice points of an ARM session. Because when I was learning all these models, like I, I just want to see it done. Mm-hmm. And I want the, the, the therapist or the teacher to explain like what they're doing, what they're seeing, why they use that intervention. And so we do all of that. We lift the hood up to, to show people like what we're doing um, in ARM. And we, we have a few transcripts in the book that we also did that as well. And then we also do every month, we'll do a um, a topic webinar. These are topics that people in our community are interested in. And we'll do a monthly topic on something, for example, complex trauma and intimacy and sexuality or complex trauma and working with the body or complex trauma and working with uh, families, you know, just specific topics, addiction, you know, so we'll take a NARM perspective and break it down. It'll also allows us just to come together for people that want to join us live. You can also listen by recording. And then we have an online Facebook community for the inner circle that we share resources together and, you know, referrals and all that kind of stuff. It's like building our international NARM community. So, so people that aren't ready to get trained, they can, they can try that out by monthly or they can sign up for the whole year and they want to. Okay. So the inner circle, is that for mental health professionals only or the same group who could do level one? Same group. Yeah. Helping. Yeah. We have all sorts of folks in there and uh, yeah, we try to like do the show the sessions in a way that also people that aren't therapists can uh, understand how they might start to apply some of these skills as well. Fabulous. That's awesome. I'll be sure if you can give me links to all the different ways to sign up for these things, I'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes. And can I, can I add one more, can I add one more thing? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Because this is actually very important for me because, you know, for all these years I've been in this field and often you know, I always joke, it's like therapy is such a funny thing. You're someone comes to your office, you lock the door, you put on a noise machine, you pull down the shade. (laughs) Like it's, it's it's like we're on an island by ourselves with these Mm -hmm. often clients that are dealing with some really heavy, heavy stuff. And in the old days, uh, you know, there was these communities, there, there was these centers like psychoanalytic institutes or societies that people would come together to support each other, to get trained together, to get supervision together, to have lecturers come in, have socials together. They'd have, you know, and they, they developed a professional community that helped sustain them in this very challenging field. And it's broken down a lot over the years. And we're trying to create some semblance of that so that people have, if they want to, you know, a professional home to come and get supervision, to get support, to get training, to just have a commu- a professional community. And it's just been such a joy, particularly since covid to uh, have this community online. I really don't know what my last two and a half years would have looked like if I didn't have such a wonderful community. So again, there's a lot of us that really are looking to get that kind of support. And that's what we're trying to offer here. So That's beautiful. And I agree that is so, so needed. As I mentioned to you before, when we were chatting the, you know, I have the Trauma Therapist Network membership community myself. And it's like, it developed because... I was trying to create a trauma therapist directory to help people find a skilled, qualified trauma therapist. And I I felt this was really, really important. And trauma therapists were kind of like, I don't need any more clients. Mm. And (laughs) I was like, oh, I see what trauma therapists need is support. So it's true. Community is life. And again, with the way that our fabric of our society is so threadbare right now. I think community is what holds it together and what strengthens it and strengthens all of us. So I'm so glad that you have that to offer to not just therapists, but anyone in the helping professions who cares about developmental trauma. And I hope that, you know, that number will grow and grow because again, it's you know, have you seen Nadine, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris's TED Talk on? Many times. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so good. I love and it. And like at the end, she says, you know, so why is it that this material has been out there 
for decades and still new physicians are not learning about it. It's not being taught in schools. Why? And she's saying it's because we don't want to see it's in us and we don't want to see it. So I feel like unlocking the common shared humanity that we all were once little children who maybe there were scary things happening and we didn't understand and we felt alone, but we can have agency and we can, we can see that we're all connected. I think that that's just like a a life thing for us. <laughs> I think it's important. Yeah. And, and you, you, thank you for the part that you're doing in developing that community and the podcast as well. It's nice to connect with you finally in real life. I can't say in person exactly, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but close enough. Yeah. Live-ish. Live-ish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing and for sharing your time here on Therapy Chat today. I'm I'm so grateful that you were able to do this. And especially, let me just let everyone know, we were supposed to do it a couple of weeks ago and I had to reschedule. And now you're like getting up at 6 a.m. <laughs> or something to do this on the West Coast. So I'm really, really grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.